he must die. What a difficult Bible reading, wasn't it? King Saul's very angry at his son, Jonathan, and the next verse, he even throws a spear at Jonathan. Can anyone remember why? Why is he throwing a spear at Jonathan? Because Jonathan's protecting David. So last week, we saw that God had removed his favor from King Saul. We got our slides up. There we go. Do you remember there's King David? He's been um, anointed, but Saul was king, and he was already becoming a great success in battle. David has been a great success. Why? Because we learned the Lord is with David. Do you remember that? The Lord is with David. It was repeated several times. And there was a song, wasn't there, that we didn't know the tune to. Song has defeated his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Saul is all right, but David's wonderful. And that made Saul very angry and jealous. You can see him looking over his shoulder there. And last week, at the beginning of chapter 18, we saw that Jonathan and David were best friends, very close. But despite being the next in line to be king, Jonathan knew that David was God's choice to be the next king of Israel. And Jonathan thought that was a good idea. And last week, do you remember, he submitted to David as the next king, which means he's going to be a servant. Do you remember how that happened, young people? Do you remember? Do you remember? Who, who wore this for me last week? Was it you? Was it you? Do you want to wear it again? Were you Jonathan or David? Okay, you were Jonathan. And, and who did you give it to? David, that's right. Who was my David? Was it Lydia? Yeah. Lydia, do you want to just come up and reenact for us what happened? So David was a commoner. Sorry, Lydia. Uh, you were from the rough end of the trench. And Jonathan, Prince Jonathan, comes and gives him his royal robe. Do you want to do that? Because he knew that David was going to be king. Wonderful. There we go. Thank you very much. You can go and sit down. You can wear the royal robe for a bit, uh, Lydia. Thank you. Well done. Great. So he's going to be David's servant, which was amazing. And we learned last week that David is God's model, a glimpse of King Jesus, which means that Jonathan's actions teach us something, don't they? They teach us that we must submit, serve King Jesus in the same way. We must hand over our crown, we wear a crown, we, we like to do what we want to do, it's a floppy crown, and we hand it over to Jesus and say, no, you be king, I want to serve you, you deserve it. And Jonathan and David made a special promise to each other, which we see in the Bible reading today, verse 14 to 17. And Jonathan promises to love and serve King David, it's a covenant, a binding promise, and King David protects Jonathan, that's what he'll do, is his part, will protect Jonathan and his family. And that's what Jesus promises us. All those who submit to Jesus to serve him, he promises to forgive us and to protect us, not just for a short time, but forever, forever. And his promises are sure. How do we know Jesus' promises are sure? Because he died on the cross. They're written in his blood. They're written in his blood. Well, where are we? 
So, that's important to remember as we look at two difficult lessons from our Bible reading. The first is that God's anointed king will be opposed. And the second lesson is that following God's king means suffering for him. So God's anointed king will be opposed. In the Bible, we see again and again people rejecting God and his purposes. And you and I, we're all naturally like that, rebellious against God. We don't like being told what to do. Uh, We don't like God telling us what to do. And even King Saul, who knew God, who had been led to God by the prophet and called by God, he disobeyed God. And when God removes the throne from Saul, what does Saul do? He disobeys, he carries on opposing God, and he won't let the new anointed king be king, and he fights against it. So now David is a threat, and that song in verse 80, chapter 18 makes him really angry, you know, the one about Saul's okay, but David is woohoo, wonderful. He thought David will get the kingdom, so he threw a spear at him. And we do all behave like this at times. Why should God have authority over me? And we fight against it. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're still fighting against it. You haven't turned to Jesus. So in chapters 18 and 19, we see Saul's opposition to David and to God. God's anointed king will be opposed. So Saul does this subtly at first. He does it quietly and secretly by making David commander of a crack bunch of troops, some soldiers. So David will be always going to battle and he's bound to die. He's bound to get killed by the enemy. That doesn't work. So Paul makes, gives his daughter to David to marry because if he becomes the king's son-in-law, he'll become a bigger target. The enemy will want him dead. But David turns that down. He feels he can't do that. He can't afford the bride price, which is quite high to a king's king's daughter. So then he has another idea. Saul offers his daughter Michal. The price is a hundred enemy soldiers. Whoops. So David has to go and kill a hundred Philistines in order to win the bride. But that's the price. Saul thinks this is such a dangerous mission, David will never come back. It'll be David gone for good. But that didn't work either. None of these things worked. And David, in everything, was successful because the Lord was with David. So Saul stopped trying to do things quietly and secretly. He went public. In the beginning of chapter 19, it got very obvious he wanted David dead. He tells his son and his servants, go out and get him. Go and kill him. And then in chapter 19, verse 10... Saul tries to pin David to the wall again with a spear. Isn't that nasty? See the picture? It's like that. But David remains unharmed. And then in verse 11, Saul sends a hit squad to David's house, a bunch of men to kill him. And they wait for David, and then they come to his house, but uh, Saul's daughter smuggles him out of the window. See that there on the left? And she puts an idol in David's bed to pretend that he's there. And the soldiers are tricked. And then in chapter 19, verse 12, um, David runs off to Ramah, where this prophet Samuel lives. And so Saul sends a squad there to kill David. 
It's a search and destroy mission. And by this time, this time the plan is foiled by God. The hit squad arrives and the Spirit of God comes upon the hit squad and they all lie down and start prophesying. They become prophets. They can't help it. They make prophecy to the Lord. But when Saul Saul is told this, he doesn't go, oh, this is God's plan. He says, let's try again. Let's send another hit squad. And another hit squad goes to Rama, and they fall down and start prophesying. It's quite funny. Imagine your enemy running towards you, and then they start giggling and running around on the floor and going, That's what happened. And then so Saul, what did he do? He sends a third hit squad. And this time he goes with them. And Saul's marching towards Rama, feeling really angry and mean. And then the Lord sends his spirit on Saul. And Saul tears off his robe. He lies on the floor and he starts doing prophecy. Isn't that funny? He takes off his clothes and he starts prophesying. He becomes helpless in the spirit of the Lord all day. And by the way, do you remember, Jonathan willingly hands his robe, his royal robe, over to David. But here, Saul's robe is removed from him by God. Hmm, interesting. God's anointed king will be opposed. And when Jesus came, he was opposed, wasn't he? What happened to Jesus when he came? They didn't want him as king, did they, the religious leaders? They were angry. And they made secret plots against him that became public. And where did they put Jesus in the end? On the cross. It was very sad, wasn't it? They put him on the cross. They didn't want him to be king. And the people listened to Jesus' teaching, and then they walked away. They didn't want to be him to be their king. God's anointed king will be opposed, and we've all done it. Some of us do it quite quietly and subtly. But sometimes we do it publicly and obviously. Jesus, folks, is our rightful king. He died and rose again and is king today. And we must bow the knee. But like Saul, we can be those who don't want Jesus to have the rule. And we want to wear the crown. But wonderfully, if we belong to Jesus... We can come daily to him for forgiveness. And he forgives us because he loves us. Do you remember, he always promised to keep us and protect us. But perhaps there are people here who've not yet done that. Come to Jesus. And that means you're still opposing him. There's no in-between. There's no grey area. You're either Jesus' friend or you're his enemy. Yeah. There's no in-between. So God's anointed king will be opposed. And secondly and lastly, following God's king means suffering for him. And we've already seen that following King Jesus can be hard. Uh, We don't like him being in charge of our lives. But also we learnt in our Bible reading that following King Jesus might mean suffering. This is a normal part of the Christian life. Jesus taught us that if we follow him, we will suffer. It it does divide families, for example. And that's what happens in our chapters. In chapter 18, David marries Saul's daughter, Michal. 
But do you remember, she protects David and is disloyal to her dad. And Jonathan, he was so godly, he tried to stick with dad. He tried to be loyal to King Saul, even when he was being so unreasonable. So when David was sure that Saul was trying to kill him, they devised that plan. Do you remember? They devised the plan. David would hide in the woods. I need a David, perhaps. David would hide in the woods. I've got some woods here. It looks like a stone pulpit. Who would like to come and hide in the woods? Well, you helped me last time. Can I have someone who didn't help me? Zanna didn't help me last time. Zanna, do you want to come and hide in the woods? Well done, but we need to just see you a little bit. So peek out your head just while we're, we're doing the story. Were you in my help? Did you help me last time, Ben? Yeah. And you're my servant. <laughs> right. Okay. Are you ready to be my servant? Sit on the chair. Sit. <laughs> Stay. Brilliant. You can't move. Look after my bow and arrow. Right. So David would hide in a wood for three days. That's where you're going to hide. And when Jonathan discovers for sure whether it's safe for David to come back to the palace or not, he will come to the field and he will shoot three arrows near a pile of rocks that suspiciously looks like a communion table. <laughs> and they shoot three arrows. And if Saul's not trying to kill David, he will shoot the arrows to the left here of the stones. But if Saul is trying to kill David, he's going to shoot an arrow way over here. And then he'll tell his servants to go and fetch whatever arrow. And you'll hear the voice, all right, King David? You'll hear him go. And if he says, the arrow is to the left, you go, oh, that's fine. I can come out. But if he says, the arrow's gone beyond the rocks over there, you go, oh, no, I've got to leave. I've got to leave. <sighs> Right, so that's what happened. So the servant came one day. Well, day, Jonathan found out that his dad was really angry when David didn't turn up to the banquet. He was really cross, do you remember? And Tim went, he resolved to kill David. He threw a spirit. So three days later, Jonathan comes to the field with his servant. Can you carry my arrows, servant? Come on, chop, chop. Here are my arrows, bring them. Come on. I'll get the staff. Right. Brilliant. That's much better. Well done. You're learning. Right. Give me an arrow. Thank you. I do say thank you sometimes because I'm a nice prince. Right. So, is David safe from Saul? Yeah. Is he? Well, he's hiding, but is he if he goes back to the palace, will he be safe? No. 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 So, what do I need to do? Go beyond the rock. I really hope this works. I didn't catch that. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Oh, should I do it again, just in case? All right. And just to be sure, because Saul was really angry. Right, I, I, I'll leave that one because... Um, <laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> right. So, servants, please can you get my arrows that have gone beyond the pile of stones? Oh. <laughs> and the servant killed Jonathan 
Thank you, servant. Now, can you take my bow and arrow back to um, the palace where mum and dad live? All right? So he sends the servant away, and then King David comes out. And you're very sad, Zanna, because you've got to run away now and hide from King Saul for, for the rest of King Saul's life. And you're not going to see Jonathan very much, so you're going to cry. And Jonathan's going to cry. <laughs> and they're going to embrace, but we'll do elbows because of COVID. And goodbye. Bye. Off you go. Bye. Back to, back to the palace. No. Golf and hide. Don't go to the palace. Sorry. It's been a long week. So you're going to go and hide now for a long time. Okay. Now, where was I? <laughs> so Jonathan helps David escape, just like his sister. Hello, servant. Go back. And stay back. Where was I? <laughs> Jonathan defies his father, doesn't he? He goes against his dad. His sister goes against his dad the anointed, because of the anointed king, David. And in verse 33, Saul tries to kill Jonathan. So members of Saul's own family have sided with the anointed king, and they're suffering for it. And that's what happens. If you stand near your captain in the battle, then you may get hit by the arrows. Following King Jesus means suffering for him. And it's the normal part of the Christian life. And if you've not suffered yet in some way because of Jesus, then perhaps you're not standing very close to him. But all of us, if we're Christians, there will come a time when we will suffer for King Jesus. So in Mark chapter 8, after take, talking about his own death, Jesus says this to his friends. Whoever wants to be my follower, my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news of me, will save it. So if we lose our lives, giving up ourselves, Jesus becoming king then we'll gain everything forever. We'll gain eternity with him. But it will mean taking up their cross, our cross, and possibly even dying. I was at Bible college with a man called Samuel, and after college, he went back to Sudan, where his life was in danger every day because he was a Bible teacher. A couple of years ago, um, three of us went to a meeting that was had... Archbishop Ben Quashi. Look at him there, such a nice chap. But they blew up his house in Nigeria. They thought he was inside. So being a follower of Jesus is tough. And many people around the world face hardship because they're standing next to their captain. Here at St. Paul's we support Open Door, a missionary organisation that supports persecuted Christians. People suffering because they're standing near their captain, Jesus. But what about you? What about me? Well, perhaps you have a story about being treated differently because you belong to Jesus. Perhaps someone's stopped being a friend with you. Or people at school were being rude to you because you're a Christian. Perhaps at the office, um, people have stopped, stopped distancing themselves from you because they found out. 
When my dad became a Christian aged 21, his mother rejected him. When my mum stood up for Jesus at work, she basically lost her job. Can you share your story with someone today about how you might have been rejected because of Jesus? In a funny way, maybe after, after, with the coffee afterwards or at lunch, tell your story because in a weird way it kind of encourages us to hear those stories and know that we're all in it together because we're standing near the captain. It is the normal part of the Christian life. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So we all must do that. I'll die for you, says Jesus. He's going to suffer and die, and his point is that following him means we go the same way. I'm taking up my cross, I'm going to die, but if you're going to follow me, you've got to die as well. You've got to take up your cross. Well, over 100 years ago, Ernest Shackleton, if you remember him? Of course you don't, it was 100 years ago. <laughs> but in your history books, Ernest Shackleton was amazing, and he was a polar explorer, and this is the advert he put in the London newspaper when he was going to the polar regions to try and persuade people to come with him. It says, men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months in complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. That was his advert in the paper. Needless to say, there wasn't a big queue to come with him. But people did. And Jesus' call to us is quite similar. It's almost identical. He says, come, come and die. That's how Jesus puts it to anyone who wants to follow him. And it's possible that here in this country we've made Christianity a bit safe, a bit comfortable, which is so weird, isn't it, when we hear Jesus' words, taking up your cross. God's anointed king will be opposed and following God's king means suffering for him. And it's the most phenomenal adventure when we do that. It's an incredible adventure to follow King Jesus. But it does come at a short-term cost. I'm going to sing a song. You ready to sing with me? I'm going to invite Jonathan, my... Uh, my literally my Jonathan. <laughs> to come and assist me. Yeah. That's your dad, that is. And we're going to sing this together. 